The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Well, good morning, my Voice America listeners. So happy to have you with us this morning. We are back in Southern California and coming to you live from Sierra Madre. Uh, Very happy today to wish my beautiful, wonderful wife a happy 50th birthday and 150 more to come, please. I do hope over the last week that you remembered some of your successes in the midst of all those challenges you dealt with. Remember, you did it. You got through it. You're better for it all. So this week, we're going to dive further into the idea of community supports, and we're going to really look at in-home supports today. We'll have with us Rocky Bomick, who's the director of my respite services for Total Programs, and Reginald Carruthers, who's a supervisor on our in our in-home and in our community programs. Both have been with Total Programs for many years, and both are experts in assisting and supporting individuals in in in-home and community challenges. Really happy to have them on board today because they both have such great expertise. Both have been doing this for quite a while, and they help so many people. We've been uh, supplying in-home behavioral support services for a long period of time. We use these programs to allow parents to recharge their batteries and have some time for themselves, while at the same time we develop good programs that help that individual developmental delays to have a purposeful and productive home and community life. It's really important to understand that parents need help, they need time off, they need to be able to do something for themselves. It's quite often that a parent will come into the office very, very distraught and needing support and needing a suggestion or a way to get through her day. I remember um, having a parent come to see me and talking about her son. And as she was talking with me, I noticed that a little drop of blood was going down the front of her head. And I, I pointed it out to her and she said that yes she had been bitten on the head about two days prior and really wasn't able to wash her hair or was still dealing with the the injury and frankly at that point we just stopped the uh, uh, the intake process and I, I sent her down the street to get her nails done and get her hair washed and combed and so that she could feel like a, a human being And it's really important that 
we allow parents to feel like humans too, not just care providers, not just therapists. I really like the way that Channel Islands Community Service has laid out their idea of what we call behavioral respite. Respite is a, a, a babysitting. It's a way of giving care provision. Behavioral respite is done with individuals de- demonstrating pretty strong behavioral issues. At the same time, they may be on a behavior plan that we want to keep going. and We don't want a typical babysitter to accidentally mess up. So um, behavioral respite differs a bit. And I really do like the way that Channel Islands guided the uh, definition and what looks like the best types of programs. Um, it's called enhanced respite for children. And what, what is enhanced respite? And this was presented originally by uh, Sharon Francis, who's the founder and CEO of Channel Island Social Services. And she's also the vice president of the Autism Society in Ventura County. So I really found this to be an excellent uh, description. And it really holds tight to the way that we run our program. So what is enhanced respite? What's well, otherwise known as behavioral respite. In-home, hourly respite care provided in regular intervals by care providers who are, have training and experience in effective behavioral modification strategies. So when we send somebody into a home and we're doing behavioral respite, that person has already had months of training in regards to behavioral support. They're not just babysitters. They have a good understanding of behavioral therapy. Their targeted population usually are children and teens who are experiencing maladaptive behaviors that are frequent and aggressive in nature, placing them in a greater risk for injuring themselves and others and for a greater risk for out-of-home placement. The number one thing that pushes uh, out-of-home placement is aggressive behavior. And When we talk about maladaptive behavior, see, the idea of adaptive behavior is that you're adapting to the environment or the world that you're in in order to get by. Maladaptive behavior does the same thing, except it does it in a way that's not socially acceptable. Like somebody may not be able to deal with a activity or a task that's been presented to them, so they they strike out. Well, that stops it from happening, but it's not a socially accepted way of stopping the uh, activity. Thus, it's adaptive, but it's maladaptive. What is enhanced respite not? Or what is behavioral respite not? It's not a replacement for professional behavioral treatment, short-term or long-term. So this has always got to go alongside of a behavioral program that's in place so that the individual's life continues to work through that modification program but it is not a it's also not what we would call a step-down program like okay you've been in this intensive behavioral service now you can just have this respite and that's what would be a step-down service maybe moving from behavioral program to more of a traditional type of babysitting and if the person is ready for that and the the goals are there but truly this is a goal-oriented behavioral program that has a quote-unquote babysitter slash behavioral therapist watching and uh, working with the child. It's also not on-call. It's not an on-call deployment of child care service. 
you know, it's not something to just access the community. It's a way of assisting parents to get time off, recharge themselves, and at the same time, not take any steps back in the child's program. So what are the most common uh, uh, BR, which is what we call behavioral respite, or ER, enhanced respite program referral traits? Well, first, let's look at families. Parents and families are under so much stress that they've mentioned at some point placing their child in a group home. They have usually had a high turnover of respite care providers due to the child's behavior. They need a care provider who can maintain professional boundaries and behavioral consistency. It's so important that the behavioral consistency take place. Otherwise, you can work on something for a month or two and somebody could destroy it within a couple minutes by just reinforcing the wrong behavior. The need for uh, those care providers to maintain professional boundaries is really important too so that the program continues to be put into place even though it may get tough for the parent also or the kid and the parent may want to change things and that we change things as we see them to be appropriate. Um, one of the things that uh, we look at is how much is the parent able to support the behavior plan when we're not around and what kind of support do they need in order to do that again this is not a replacement for an in-home behavioral program it's a uh, uh, a subsidiary program that allows the in-home behavioral program to to work better and to continue to work um, there have been you know unfortunately Changes in family structure can also uh, kind of prompt the need for an ER or BR program. Um, parents may divorce. There may be separation. There may be a new baby. There may be something new or different that's going on. And one of the things, you know, I hate to, to say, but is the case, is that we look at about 70% of our families living with behavioral challenges divorce because the parents are under so much stress that they cannot easily work together. And it's, it's very, very difficult. Quite often also, the uh, uh, person or the parents have been reported to Child Protective Services by a concerned neighbor neighbor you know maybe it's loud noises or bruises that they see or the kid wandering around and these are all things that really do help us to put into place programs and, and demonstrate to the regional centers how important this program might be one of the things too that I often talk to parents about and I would suggest to any of you that are dealing with behavioral concerns where you have had um, abuse reports, open up a Child Protective Services uh, file for yourself because you're going to have situations where your child might have bruises, might have something uh, that indicates that they have been through some kind of physical restraint or physical interaction. And more than likely, you were doing that in order to uh, keep things safe. It's important that the government and the, and the state understand that better. What are some of the common referral traits for kids and teens? Well, they exhibit very challenging behaviors such as self-injurious behavior, aggression, property destruction, screaming, spitting, 
very poor impulse control so they could run away, run out, do something without thinking about it. They have a history of causing severe injury to others or to self and that even might require medical treatment. They require high frequency of reinforcement to maintain the appropriate behavior. High frequency of reinforcement, high frequency of prompting to get the person going in the right direction. They exhibit frequent hypersexualized behavior, not knowing how to deal with their sexualized behavior in public settings. And they've grown larger than their parents and most people. So what we try and do is not look so much at the physicality of the individual, but look more at what can we do to create a plan using our brain to help this individual before the incidents start to occur. You know, it's why do we develop these programs? What are the benefits of enhanced respite or behavioral respite? Well, from the family perspective, there's behaviorally trained and experienced care providers. There's a consistent person in your family's life who understands you and your child and can look beyond the behaviors. Consistency in implementing behavioral strategies Understanding antecedents, which are the things that happen before the behavior happens. Understanding consequences. Those are the things, those are the rewards, the things that happen after the behavior. Understanding how to collect data. From the child's perspective, it's someone who knows what I like to do and what I do not like or know how to do yet. See, sometimes it's not about the kid not liking it. He just doesn't know how to do it. So if he can't do it, He's going to struggle, and then you're going to have a secondary issue of a loss of motivation and uh, and uh, irritability. So the, the good care provider in behavioral respite understands the child, understands their schedule, and knows how to help them make transitions to new activities, comes when they say they will so with my mom and dad, go and do things that I don't like to do, so they go and they help out. I look forward to seeing and who is patient with me and knows my good and bad days. So these are all things that the behavioral respite person can come in and say, you know, you have done a great job today and I'm going to help you. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to work alongside of you. And a lot of times our kids are nonverbal, but we still let them know we're going to be there for them. From the care provider's perspective, you know, it's... For one, from the caregiver's perspective, that's the the respite worker. Competitive pay at reliable intervals is important. Opportunities for professional growth and promotion at the same company. Agency supports, with whether that's in person or on the phone. Regular quarter meetings and trainings with the family. Behavioral training, such as ABA programs. And we have programs called NCPI, which is Nonviolent Crisis Intervention. We also have something that's called PCMA, which is a, another form of de-escalation. We look at families that, uh, well, how will they benefit? Well, it's, it can be, from the funding partner's perspective, which is the regional center, it can be a lot more cost-effective to have a behavioral respite program in place, which can cost somewhere around $1,200 versus a $6,000 a month or more uh, uh, place in out-of-home placement. Another set of trained eyes in the home to help. Feedback on effectiveness of behavioral treatment plans in current family supports. 
services for person-centered or group living in, a, in the children's residential home. It's best when the funding agency proactively authorizes and not as a stopgap or a fail-first measure. So we don't want to see the parent going absolutely crazy and completely stressed out, and then they finally get their behavioral respite. We want that to be in place so that, they, that there is not a fail-first model. There are, from the respite agency's perspective, specialty programs, better help families who are considering in crisis and maybe considering placing their child. They better pay for additional training and support from qualified staff. You know, they are able to help families and communities as a partner in a long-term relationship. Gaining family trust, it's... Is it okay for them to stay? Yes, we want them to watch what we're doing, but at the same time, we want them to know it's okay for you to go. L- additional training, you know, uh, tr- learning how to track certain behaviors and look for certain patterns. It's hard. It's very hard, and it's hard to phase out that caregiver, you know, who's bonded with the family. So one of the things is we try and guess give as much time off, but when you want to learn from us and you want to be involved, we're right there to do it with you. It's really important that the agency takes clear data so that the funding agent, which is usually the regional centers or the Department of Developmental Services, can take into account a, a, a projection of some challenges that are very likely to occur and get worse if nothing's put into place. So we've come to our first uh, break and we will uh, soon be back with Rocky and and Reggie to join us. It's really important that the good qualified person runs the respite program and I feel that I really have that in these two people and so we will talk with them back here in a couple minutes. Get yourself a cup of coffee and we'll see you back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey. Breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice. Much of it conflicting. Some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit totalprograms.org. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back. I hope you got yourself a little treat and you're ready to listen in a little bit more. We've been talking about behavioral respite services or what's also known as enhanced respite services, which are services that are supplied to people who are dealing with major behavioral challenges. Agencies really do need to prepare in order to have a good behavioral respite program. They have to understand the schedules of family, so they need a good scheduling program in place. The caregiver submits timesheets, so that's the, the respite worker, on a weekly basis and have the parents sign those things so that we are aware that they are providing the service, but that we also you know can prove to the funding sources and that the agency can then prove to the funding sources that they have uh, provided the service. The agency pays on a bi-weekly basis and submits monthly bills to the funding agency. So when we submit our, our bills to the agency, we want to make sure that we have all of our paperwork in place. You have to prepare for higher caregiver wages between anywhere between 30 and 50% more. So if you're typically paying a minimum wage to a caregiver, a babysitter, you're going to look at almost doubling that at least in order to um, get a good qualified person. You also need a program coordinator and a program supervisor. You need somebody who's gone to school, has the behavioral information available to them. And this is why I have on today two of my uh, staff members, who, one, the director of our respite program, and secondly, a supervisor who's done a lot of work in that program. Those caregivers' trainings are between 30 and 40 hours before they even go out into the, the field at all. Then they spend time shadowing another person so that they can see what that program is like. We try and put in only positive behavioral supports, and we do that training for at least eight hours so that they understand that. We do our PCMA and NCPI trainings, which are trainings to help with nonviolent interventions. Those last anywhere from 16 to 20 hours. And we have CPR and first aid classes that we have to give also. Then we have to look specifically at the child's behavior plan and set up quarterly trainings with them. So it's the way that we have found the outcomes of our respite programs are if that family has permanency, the child will remain living at home for as long as possible and benefit from that child-family interaction. The family can start feeling love in the house again 
and not just feeling this angst of dealing with behavioral issues constantly. They know that they're going to have consistent support. They know that they'll receive regular respite care from behaviorally trained staff, so they're, they're comfortable. The family will learn to recognize when they need additional help and will reach out to social services in order to do that. So one of the ways that the parent communicates with the agency is through our supervisors and through our, uh, our directors. So first of all, I'd like to introduce Rocky Bomick. Good morning, Rocky. Good morning. Rocky has been in the field working with children and adults with developmental disabilities for the last 10 years. She's a big part of Total Programs and has been with me for several years. She is currently the director of the Behavioral Respite Services and is dedicated to ensuring that families receive their optimal support. She worked directly with parents, group homes, and other members developing behavior modification plans. She continues to strive in the direction of helping others in the need of appropriate services and advocates for the effectiveness and applying strategies of applied behavior analysis for all populations. So she works very hard to make sure that family plans stay in place. So we, we thank you for that, Rocky. I also want to introduce Reggie Carruthers, Reginald Carruthers. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. Good morning. Reggie has worked for Total Programs for the last seven years as a senior specialist that supervises staff who provide community integration and adaptive skill services with families in Los Angeles and the San Fernando Valley. He's worked with developmentally disabled clients of all ages since starting his professional work in 1976. Reggie has a master's degree in rehabilitation counseling and an additional coursework completed in applied behavior analysis at Cal State Los Angeles. His bachelor's degree is in speech and hearing and in psychology and was completed at Valparaiso University in Valparaiso, Indiana, where he met his wife in 1971. He has two married daughters and he has two recently born granddaughters. His work experience includes parent advocacy, working as an expert witness, career counseling, psychometric assessments, work evaluations, public relations, marketing, teaching adaptive skills, training in the community, community integration training, and training with consumer staff and more parent training. So he's been doing this a long time, and I'm very happy to have him on board. You know, the two of you guys work very, very hard to make sure that families have the supports that they need. Rocky, tell me, how did you become interested in individuals with disabilities? Where did you get your interest in all this? I think it really just happened growing up. Um, I think knowing that I had my own limitations, I always loved to see what else I could do. And um, we've grown up to think, I think it's such human nature of to compare ourselves to others. But instead, it was just really looking in the mirror and knowing that you are your own competition. So mm. knowing that I wanted to get in that field of psychology to learn more about all the different populations and kind of getting into working with kids, I knew what are their strengths? Like, what can we do more for them? How can we get to teach them their life skills, getting to, to them to be more independent? So doing that, I felt that this is what's for me, is to get them to their highest potential of what they could do. Mm, that's wonderful. You've been with me, it seems like a long time. I'm, I'm thinking right. eight, eight years more? Eight years. I don't know. Eight yeah, years. Eight or nine years, and, yeah. And I, I didn't really mention this in the bio because it's not all that important. You are who you are. But 
you do have, uh, would you call it a disability? I think you're pretty damn abled myself, but, you know, what, what would you call your disability? I guess. Yes, and what, what, what is your physical limitation? What is your disability that you deal with? Right, so I, I have a achondroplasia, so I grew up with short limbs. And so getting through the years, I had to go through uh, surgeries of limb lengthening just for really at the end of the day, more of a quality life, just so I could be more independent, driving a car, getting around. And for all that, I have to go through rehab. And doing that, I would always compare myself to others who have more. But you forget there are others in the world that have less. So I have to really, at the end of the day, do what is best for me. I'm the only person that I need to compare myself to. You're amazing. Listen to you. And we call her Rockstar, by the way, listeners, <laughs> because she is our rock star. You know, Rocky is a little person. She has dealt with major surgeries. And, and so you know. You know what it's like for families to be stressed out and for mm-hmm. even their client to be stressed mm-hmm. out and to try and put into place whatever you can. But it's funny because we'll get calls you know, can you send over a big dude to help me with my kid? And I like to send Rocky over there because she's got mm-hmm. the brains and the know-how to do it. It's not about brawn. It's about brains. It's about your ability to look at a situation and go, okay, these are the things that are working and these are the things that, that aren't working. What, um, Reggie, let me ask you the same thing. What uh, got you into uh, working with individuals with disabilities? I started working with family with family members and individuals with disabilities in 1976 when I was hired in the Gary Public School System to begin implementing the training of staff and parents to meet goals of IEPs, Individual Education Plans. And I was working with the school psychologists, training the staff, and there was a component where we actually had the opportunity to train the parents so that we would have consistency in the home for meeting the goals of individual education plans. Uh, in addition to that, I at the at a different uh, private setting, I was working as a supervisor, director of a Saturday respite program. Uh, the mm-hmm. Saturday respite program was affiliated with the Easter Seals in the Northwest Indiana region. And during that span of time of a couple of years on Saturdays, we had the opportunity to work directly with the clients who had a variety of uh, maladaptive behaviors, uh, including self-injury, aggression, elopement, self-stimulation, and we structured programs for them to have an active, productive day while we were giving the parents an opportunity to get some training and also have time off because the programs lasted four hours per day in the morning. So that was a great opportunity to begin. You're looking at a time period, too, when all that stuff was new. All the special education programming was new, knowing how to best work with individuals with developmental disabilities was just, I mean, special ed law didn't come into place till 75. You know, so we're looking at, you know, right around that time, you were starting, helping start this behavioral respite program. And our behavioral respite program uh, has been around for about 10 years, but really it's been Rocky and yourself that have really promoted that, those, those programs. 
Um, Rocky, tell me, you're you you're, you're getting your finishing your master's in applied behavior analysis. Tell me why you wanted ABA as a career. Because it's literally everything that we do. It's something that I apply every day to my own life, um, whether it comes to health, fitness, um, teaching a new skill when we want to learn how to use a, uh, ride a bike, drive a car. So when I was in the program, it, I was just so fascinated of how much you could do for yourself and for others, how you can teach. And again, it goes back to the strengths and like the, the, the skills that we have. Why can't we get them stronger? Why can't we get them better? So doing that, working with the kids that we do, it's, it's really fascinating to me how much you can continue to do in this field. Yeah, it's uh, the the greatest thing about ABA is that we're able to measure how things go as they're going and then change them up if we need to. Mm-hmm. You know, quite often, you know, the one of the things that we had to really push in our behavioral respite program, which you have pushed very hard and really made it a an entry requirement is this idea of that it's that the parent that there has to be a behavior plan. That there's not just you know, somebody who just shows up at the house and does whatever, that it's actually a, 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 a program that has a plan in place so that the person can continue to grow and not have something interfere with it. And it's, it's very easy for somebody, like say you have a kid who's been like kicking the TV, you know, and so and he kicks the TV until you turn it on. And you're like, well, we're not going to do that. You're going to ask for TV. You're going to sign. You're going to show me a picture. You're going to say a word. But the typical uh, 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 babysitter will probably just want the problem to go away, the issue to go away, rather than looking like long term at the bigger thing. So they'll just be like, okay, he's kicking the TV. He likes the TV. I'll go turn it on. And it's like, okay, well, you just, you, you, you made him happy temporarily, but you've also at the same time uh, torn apart a program that we've been working on so that this kid acts in a socially appropriate way. And how often do you find um, resistance or acceptance, I guess I should say, in regards to that behavior plan, Rocky? Let me ask it in a different way. Do you ever get into a situation where there is no plan in place and a parent doesn't really understand why there needs to be one? Why yes, you don't just that, do that happened a lot in the beginning when I first started mm-hmm. actually because it was more of just, Hey, get someone out there, get someone to help them. But I always asked them, What's the plan? But they said, As long as your staff is ABA trained, you just send them over. But that never was that's not enough. We need to know your child. Every person is an individual. We know that they have their own history. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? What are their problem behaviors? What are the communication methods that they use? We're not going to expect them to have verbal language if they're nonverbal. We're not going to expect them to use sign language if they don't have the fine motor skills. So we need to know your kids so that way we can give them the best quality of life in the home. Yeah, we don't just come in with cookie-cutter plans that are the same for mm-hmm. everybody. It's developed to help that individual. And, you know, Reggie, I also see the same thing in our community settings where there are plans in place, but people may resist trying to put a plan in place out in the community. And what's been your experience with that? Well, I, I currently I think there's some needs in the in the families. Uh, and in the community where we can have 
our adolescent and our adult consumers have a more active contributing part to the community. And there's a couple ways that I see the program needs and directions that, that are going at this time. I know a lot of our consumers ideally are, are completing school and they're participating in day programs that have some aspect of, of vocational training in it or volunteering in it, but there's a big need out there for families that have a family member who have finished these programs but are not quite job ready. So there's a, there's a need for some special day programs where we can still give the family, the parents a break and support them as they uh, request and advocate for special support programs for their family member to get specialized training while also getting support from an adaptive skills training program where they're still learning how to, where the consumers and the clients are still learning how to be independent, but at the same time developing skills to be productive in our community. And in some cases, they may not be able to work uh, part or full time, but at least they can still be productive by volunteering or uh, at least being a productive member of society by by uh, being more independent on their own and helping their family members in the home as well. The, the big theme here between the two programs, between the behavioral respite program and the community support program, is that people need to understand when they get started in these programs that they are a... Uh, goal-oriented, objective-oriented program, that they are not just to have busy time, they're not just to release the responsibility of the parent or the care, the main care provider. They, those programs are in place or the, so that each individual can develop, as Rocky had said, each individual can develop on their own with the skills that they have, but at the same time, we start to implement programs that might be a little bit more challenging for them so that when other people in the community or in their home or working with them, those things carry over. Now, we've actually come to our second break, so we will be back in a couple minutes and and dive further into this topic of of in-home supports. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. We all have challenges each and every day. How do you relax and live in a calm state? On Chaos to Calm, we introduce you to the concept of Wrenchway, a path to feeling calmer and happier. Listen Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 
7 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, everybody, welcome back. During the break, we were talking a little bit, Reggie and Rocky and I, about why these programs are so important. And so often, you know, the parents and care providers are so very much burnt out. They're very tired. They don't want to do another thing. They don't want another plan in place. They don't want to have to work through another program. But you know, when I said that, Rocky, your response was, that's thinking like in the now. So why don't you tell me that again? You know, it's like when you have a parent that is resistant to creating a program or creating a a behavior plan, you were saying that they think in a more temporal way. Absolutely. Um, It's more of just almost like a quick fix. They want it to see it immediately. And that's not always the case. You have to give it some time um, for it to be adjusted for a better quality of life in the long run um, because we want long-term goals, not short-term goals for the family. Yeah. And long-term outcomes, not you know, mm-hmm. not short-term outcomes. And the short-term outcome, yeah, might be that the kid sits quiet for a minute or, or stops hitting or stops because you've held them or something. But if we have a plan in place that allows that person to still communicate, see, I don't believe in behavior problems. I believe in poor advocacy, for the mm-hmm. poor self-advocacy. So if the person can't advocate for themselves in, in any other way, except hitting or destroying property or running away, that's what they're going to utilize. Reggie, you were working for several years with one client in the community. We have this client 20, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there was a lot of resistance there in regards to him and we, him wanting to take on new programs and his parents wanting to take on new programs. And how did you... I, I guess the only way I could say it, how did you manipulate the environment or manipulate the situation in such a way that they began to understand the need for program? I think the important aspect of working with families uh, of no matter what level they're at in terms of trying programs, like this program, we did observations. We developed a rapport with the client as well as the family so that we better understood the family needs and their fun and their priorities of what they wanted to achieve for goals with the family member. And we just uh, would try to be sensitive to uh, trying open, open strategies that were research based and 
uh, proven effective by and then getting the parents to become more aware of what we were trying to do as a team. Yeah. Uh, the important aspect of, of using the team, uh, the parents as well as the staff, was that everyone would feel included in the process and open to uh, trying uh, whatever I, whatever procedures, steps, and activities were most successfully done in the past from proven research. You know, uh, so often. As it turned out, yeah, as it turned not, out, not the parents the, were educated. You know, so often is the case that the parent or teacher or care provider, whoever is watching the situation, has quote-unquote dealt with the situation in whatever way they could. They come up with their own ideas, their own plans, they see some reduction maybe in acting out behavior um, because maybe they're over-reinforcing or they are bribing their kid in one way or another to, you know, when they start to act out. And so when they have somebody that comes into the house, somebody new that comes into their life, what they might believe is that it's important for them to share and delineate their program to you that you need to understand how they're working with their kid and though you've been called in because they're having challenges they're having challenge major challenges with their kiddo but they don't really want to make they don't want to be seen as the one that doesn't understand how to do it and they do understand their child better than anybody else what they may not understand at times is their own reaction to the child's behavior because the most common thing to do is to try and do whatever you can to remove that aversive situation from yourself so you're going to do whatever you can do to get the kid to stop acting out and that commonly can be about reinforcing the wrong types of behavior Rocky, we've done a lot of, of, of in-home training. You've done trainings for group homes that we've worked with. What You are the director of this behavioral respite program for many reasons. The main reason is I believe that you have a true understanding of how families need to love and care for their child. And that you do. I have seen you put out so much effort in order to get those that family what they need. What is the, if you were to look over the next five years maybe, what was what is the goal for your department? What would you like to see our behavioral respite program doing more of or less of, or what would you like to see it doing? Advocating. I think a lot of people still don't know about this type of program. Um, there's a lot of programs that are just called respite and not behavior respite, and I don't think so many families still know of what is available for them, what are the resources out for them. So I think in the next coming years, we, we, would, we should target, you know, um, advocating and really promoting um, these types of programs out for them. Um, yeah. And then how also do we do that? getting... Go ahead, sorry. Well, just tell me, how, what would be some of the ways we could get the word out? I mean, we have a radio um, show. Attending the conferences, this radio show, going to workshops. Um, going through the walks, um, really talking about our programs like this to show that we're here for them. We're here to help them um, for their child to be at the home as long as possible and at the same time giving them the relief that they need. One of the things that I love to see in our program, see, we 
commonly we'll get referrals from people that are way out there. They're way out in the middle of the desert in India or they're up in Tehachapi or they're in the middle of Kern County. And we may not have enough staff to help them, but the parent may not actually only need respite. They may just need what we would call telehealth, the ability to be able to get on a video conference or get on a phone call with that parent and, and, and consult with them and say, hey, this is, I hear what the problem is. Let's try and take some data around this that we actually open up the respite program to not just the one-on-one care provision, but also, okay, you, a respite might also be gaining knowledge. Like, okay, I now know how to do this a little bit better because I talked with this consultant, I talked with Rocky about this, I now understand better how to do this, therefore, I don't see my kid acting out as much. Yeah, I don't get a break, because nobody can come out here to Indio to give me a break, but I do see less behavior because she's been working with me. And it's funny, because one of the top things that I see in regards to complaints in your department is not enough of you. You know, that they don't get enough of your time, that they don't get enough of your your people. And that demonstrates to me that they not only enjoy the program, but that it's beneficial to them. And I think you should really be proud of yourself for how hard you work every single day to make sure that those families get what they need. Because what's the outcome, Rocky, when we say, you're going to get, you know, this amount of respite, and then we aren't able to supply it. What what goes on with the parent? If we cannot provide all of that? Yeah, uh, what they expect, oh. that time yeah, to... They, they're upset because they need to get things done. They have work. They have other things to do that um, they need that extra support to help them out. And you have been so good at making sure your staff understand the need for consistency and for staying on board with the family from the beginning to the end of a program and then being able to, you know, Dumbo used to have a big feather in his nose so he could fly, right? But then he figured out one day, you know, it's not the the, uh, feather, it's my big ears that make me fly. And that, once we can implement that or, or insert that into the families, wow, and into our staff, they realize that how important they are because they might think that they're not so important because they're just quote unquote babysitting, but they could be more important than anybody else. You know, Reggie, you have been in the field for a while. Where do you see the field moving towards where, what's the next direction we might be moving into? I I see, Currently, the there's a lot of uh, awareness because of uh, former organizations like Autism Speaks, where the early intervention appears to be the the focus for identifying uh, family members who have autism or are on the spectrum, and they're getting services earlier. So there is a bi- there is a big focus for getting early intervention. And then I think the second uh, biggest focus is that parents are becoming more aware of services that are available and they are asking for 
programs and services to meet their needs. Uh, and I think like Rocky just spoke of, uh, parents are learning that there is a difference between behavioral, behavior respite and respite. Respite uh, has less trained staff where uh, behavioral res- behavior respite has has trained staff who can provide specific service to family members who have behavior issues. They, and the important part is, uh, is they know how to not only implement programs that are effective, but also they help maintain record-keeping that can further help parents ask for more and better services for their family members and for the parents as well. Yeah, so the field definitely has moved towards the family as the main advocate and families knowing what they need in advocacy. They've also, one of the things that is happening is our teenagers, our kids, our infants are growing up. They're getting older. They're turning into teenagers. They're turning into young adults. They're turning into middle-aged folk. And the kind of supports that need to be put into place to make sure that they still have that good quality of life. In an earlier show, I talked about a client of ours, Mary, who we had been able to get into her own apartment setting at about 35, 36 years old. And it was so important for us to get her parents the respite that they needed because they were well into their 70s and dealing with a lot of behavioral issues. But once she created a life for herself, no longer did she demonstrate all these behavioral issues. And Rocky, it's rare right now that we get referrals for older individuals, but I do believe that we need to look at the whole, we are called total programs for a reason. We look at the whole total situation, and I believe that the next area that we're going to be diving into are are adult supports, adult respite, a person who could live in their own place or maybe in a, a share an apartment with somebody as long as they're given the some of the support that they might need. What are your thoughts around that, Rock? Yeah, what are your thoughts? I agree, because right now we may have older adults, but they're still living at home. But what about those that want to live on their own? I think... Um, I haven't had any referrals in that regards, but that would be the next venture. Um, but it, but you know what's a trip, and I don't mean to interrupt. I don't mean to interrupt, but we actually have. We just call it something else. We call it personal assistant rather than behavioral respite because behavioral mm-hmm. respite or respite is for though for kids, babysitting. This idea is personal assistant would be the thing that would allow that individual to get out about in the community, get out about in their, even in their, their home and be able to do things safely just with the help of another, just with some of the assistance of another. And yeah. you guys make that happen. And I want to thank both of you so much for all the hard work that you do on a daily basis. Believe it or not. So guys, I, I would love to have you on another show. We've come to the end of our show today and it's, it comes so quickly, but thank you for sharing your information with everyone. And I do want them to know that if you contact Total Programs, you can get some more information about our respite program. So, you guys, thank you very much. We thank, thank you, Dr. Sean. So, remember that on Strategies and Solutions, Taking on the Challenge with Dr. Sean, we're about your success 
and know that each day can be the new future you dream of having in your life. We'll see you next time. Blessings. Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.